Hello, podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in into the next episode of the FinTech Investor Podcast Series. My name is Simon Yu. I'm the founder and managing partner of Green Bodger Capital. And today I am delighted to welcome Iolua Abueji. Oh, wow. Otherwise known around the world simply by one initial E. Yeah, e of Flutterwave. So, E. Thanks for making the time to be on our podcast today. It is absolutely a pleasure to have you. How are you today? I'm doing very well, and it's such a pleasure to be here, too. Before we get into your illustrious career, can you talk a little bit about your personal background? I grew up in Lagos. So Lagos is, a, is one of the world's most popular cities, quite frankly. Um, What's the population? Million people. 21 million. Yeah. Wow. And it's like it's literally... It's as big as Tokyo. Yeah, it's as big as Tokyo and probably like half the size, maybe. Wow. <laughs> so I grew up in a pressure cooker. Um, and, and, you know, um, just like over the years, I've always been a very curious person. So just um, I've always been super interested in understanding how the world works and why it works the way it does and what's possible for, you know, people like me to do to change it. You grew up in Lagos, Lagos but uh, you went to school in Canada, correct? Yeah, so I went to university in Canada. I went to University of Waterloo, which yeah, is... Known for its science and engineering programs. And cooperative education, right. which is one of the most formative um, periods of my of my entire life. So. so how did you decide you wanted to go to school in Waterloo? Waterloo does this really awesome thing where um, when you come to Waterloo, you spend four months in school, and then you go work for four months, and then you come back to school for four months in alternate terms up until you graduate. And to graduate in a cooperative education program, you need about two and a half years of work experience out of five years of school. During those work experiences, you actually get paid. <laughs> and you get like a lot of support from the school to place you and all that. And being an international student, super high tuition, even higher um, board, room and board costs because no family. Um, so, you know, whatever we could do to defray the costs was welcome. Now, did Waterloo have um, a large international student body? Yeah, I think comparatively larger than most other schools, I would argue. Were there any Nigerians in your class? Oh, there were tons. Is and actually, right? I, I co-founded Andela with some of them. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no so, kidding. Nadaya and Agassi, um was one of my best friends. We've known each other for over 10 years. Um, we co-founded Andela together. Bryce from Cameroon. Also, another one of my really good friends. We've known each other since high school. You know, we also co-founded Andela together. So there were lots, there were quite a number of, of very smart Nigerians in Waterloo. Oh, no doubt. You mentioned Andela, which was your first startup. Yeah. Since I was very young, I've always been very passionate about education and education companies. So, you know, I think the first experiment in education I, I experimented with was something called Project Cheetah, which was an experiment to build a university in Africa. Didn't work out, obviously. Then I moved on to Booknado.com, which was like a social learning platform that came up very early in the same time, about the same time as Udemy. Was skilled a little bit, um, worked with some professors, and then kind of uh, basically sold it off to them for some purposes. Then I moved back to Africa, started Fora, which was supposed to be like a professional service, a professional degree program uh, marketplace, um, which was okay. So Andela was like my fourth <laughs> education startup. By the way, how old were you when you started Andela? Oh man, I um I started Andela in 2014. Okay, so 22, 23 yeah. is your fourth startup. Yeah, and lo and behold, your yeah. idea attracts the attention of none other than Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah, so that was awesome. So first, explain what Andela's your vi- yeah, your vision so- was for Andela. 
and then talk about how you got Zuckerberg involved. The, the vision behind it was a very simple one. We, we genuinely believed, and we, I still do, that brilliance is equally distributed across the world, but opportunity is not, especially in Africa. And the reason why is because if you look at the development of many other societies, emerging market societies, China, India, there is pretty much as part of national development an established system, meritocratic system for identifying and refining talent. Across Africa, you find that the most brilliant people just simply don't have opportunities. The university system is not built on meritocracy. Um, you know, it's just kind of like a fairly a random selection. So what we quickly realized with Andela was like there was a real opportunity to like find the smartest people who could learn anything in a short period of time, build them into high quality software engineers and improve the quality of their lives. Mm. And then most importantly, supply technical talent to the rest of the world. And, um, and, and the outcomes are just fantastic. I mean, when we started Andela, 100 the average graduate, the average uh, fellow at the time, we are calling them, used to earn $100 a month. Today, after two years of the program, the average um, um, fellow who doesn't complete the program, but just does two years, is earning something around $3,500, $4,000 a month remotely. Wow. So now, how did you, how did you um, launch the business, number one? Where did the capital come from? And then number two, how did you get Mark Zuckerberg involved? Yeah, so um, in, it was a series of, of pretty hard grinds. Like, it wasn't like Mark Zuckerberg just heard about our business and just invested. Um, now, the listen, first, uh, the story as I heard it was that you guys actually wrote an op-ed that was published in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And you responded to I, it. Yeah, yeah, he pretty much reached out to my co-founder. Right? Yeah, Is that true? We did write that piece about would the next Mark Zuckerberg come from, from Nigeria. And, and he read it and, uh, and, you know, somehow established a connection with my co-founder. And that's how kind of the... The whole thing happened, yeah. So now yeah. listen, Andela obviously brought you a lot of notoriety, and for you know for good reason too. So when did you decide it was time to move on from Andela to do your next thing? Yeah, I mean it, it was a process because I think for me I really loved, um, I, I really still do love the work Andela does. But I think one of the things that I, that concerned me a lot was um, really understanding how we had come out of this very unlikely journey of being a Nigerian company exporting technical talent around the world. And I, and I thought to myself, why just technical talent? Why not everything, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't just enough for me to be, to, for us to be the uh, factory workers of the technical technology world. I wanted us to be the bosses too. If you really look at the digital economy and where global companies' footprints are, everybody kind of just rolls out around the world and just tiptoes around Africa. <laughs> and, and the primary reason why, which is, which is like, to be honest, very rational is, it's really hard to get paid. How do you make money in Africa? How do you devote resources to Africa if you can't get paid in Africa? Um, no one's going to do that, no matter how altruistic they are. Now, when you say get paid, you're talking about actual delivery of funds. How do you settle up? Yeah, yeah. It's very. I mean, people want to pay. I can tell you this for a fact. Like, people really, really want to pay for Spotify. They want to pay for Airbnb. They want to pay for for whatever it is that people are paying for here. They want to pay for Facebook ads. It's a very different landscape. Yeah, getting the money from point A to point B is yeah, hard. It's just, it's just hard. Yeah. And the reason why it's hard is because, number one, there's a diversity of payment methods, right? Like everywhere else in the world, you want to get paid, you just set up Stripe and go to sleep. But like, you know, you know, uh, in Africa, you can't do that. And, and the first story I remember was we, we were working with this global transportation company that will remain unnamed, um, um, which is, you know, a very big rideshare platform. And they came to Africa and quickly realized, look, the way we were doing it out in San Francisco or Amsterdam or everywhere, 
just zinc on a scale here. So how can we find a local partner who can help us to build um, a payment platform where we can use to accept funds from our riders and pay our drivers? You knew you wanted to do more, and Della was a great, great success story, but now you wanted to really crack the code around enabling commerce in Africa. So tell us about the foundations of Flutterwave. How did you, first of all, get together with your co-founders? Yeah, um, it, was, it was a very interesting story. So, I mean, obviously I was an Andela. I was thinking about these questions and I was wondering what's the best way to achieve this. I mean, one way to do that would be to go start a fund. Cool, you know, I got a lot of offers to do that and I thought it was, was interesting, but definitely not what I was thinking. I think, you know, venture capital in Africa is still a little, is, is early and you really have to find the right founders or develop the right founders, which can be tr difficult to do. Um, given the kind of risk profile of the capitalists. So I, I kind of canceled that out. And then, you know, I found these two really interesting experts on the ground, Chris and, and Greg, who are working on on a fantastic, you know, payment platform and they've been pretty successful doing something similar before. And, and so I got together and told them, look, like, you know, this thing we're building could be far bigger than either of you ever thinks it could be. So why don't we get together and, like, actually build this into a real company? So talk about how you actually... Uh, pitch the guys to join forces with you. You know, how did you get Chris and GB inside? What was the vision that you articulated to them about what Flutterwave is and what Flutterwave could be? Yeah, I mean, it was really one we articulated together, but at the crux of it was this idea that how would you connect, how do you build a new wave of prosperity across Africa? Given all the infrastructure challenges, given the population challenges, given the youthful challenges, and given the opportunity, right? Because if you really think about it, Africa is going to be at the center of global consumer um, culture over the next 20 years for the simple reason that Africa is going to contribute to the, to the global working population more than half of the total global pop working population over the next 20 years, maybe even more. You know, Nigeria is a huge country. I mean, in every sense of the word, you know, eighth largest country in the world and going to be about 400 million people over the next 15 years. What's the total population today? Today, 180 million. 180 million people. Wow. 180 million people wow. today. So it's like so Japan, it's, Korea, and New Zealand combined. Yeah, yeah, maybe even more. <laughs> what's, the, what's the average age of the uh, Nigerian so citizens? 75% of Nigerians are under the age of 30. 68% are under the age of 25. Wow. Right. <laughs> so like you literally have this explosion of youth, right? Right. Um, in these countries. And it's, it's a huge economy, it's Africa's largest economy, but it's still less than a trillion dollar economy. And really that's the real opportunity. Wow, and, it, and the payments infrastructure has yet to be built. It, it is literally very infant, right? Because basically you still have a lot of transactions in cash. Um, you, have, you, don't, you don't even have up to 100 companies making a billion dollars in revenue in Nigeria. Say that, <laughs> that one more time. You do not have a hundred companies making a billion dollars in revenue in Nigeria. Wow. Despite the size. So that just shows you how much more opportunity there is. If I was thinking about the next China, Nigeria would be top three on my list for where that would happen. So you, Chris, and GB get together, decide to form, form Flutterwave to power uh, or empower you know, this next generation of commerce yeah. and entrepreneurs in Nigeria. Uh, share with the audience what your grand vision is in a little more detail. Yeah, I think for us it's, it's really simple. How do we connect Africa to the global economy? Um, especially as a global economy becomes a more digital economy. 
Um, back in the day, I mean, when I was growing up, my dad worked for a multinational, and I think pretty much every middle-class family worked for a multinational. What it meant to be a multinational back then was that you had a presence in every country in the world. Today, what it means to be a multinational is that you're everywhere where every human being has a has an internet connection, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the world has just fundamentally yeah. changed in that way. You could have yeah. a multinational. Boundaries are just yeah, out of someone's closet, really. Yeah. However, you know, that whole wave of inclusion, global inclusion and, and digital economy kind of skipped Africa in some weird way, even though I would argue we were, we were most ready for it. Right, because you know, every day I hear people talk about a mobilized mobile economy. Like Africa's been a mobile seventy five percent of all internet content in Nigeria is consumed on mobile. Not not necessarily just smartphone, yeah. but, but mobile. Wow. Right. It is the most mobilized country in the world. No kidding. No kidding. Right? Mm. This is with high data cost, this is with poor infrastructure. And people this buying is with, Minutes at a time. Yeah, and people buy, prepaying for minutes. Mm. So that just shows you what's literally just waiting there. And so from, for us, the vision is, how do we power a digital economy for Africa? Can you talk a little bit about uh, the thinking that went behind uh, applying to and then going through the Y Combinator program? For us, the thinking was very simple. It was, where else will you get the opportunity to be exposed on a stage in two and a half minutes to 350 investors? It's like the most efficient capital raising process ever. <laughs> so I think that was the mindset for us. It was, look, these guys are going to do a great job of preparing us to raise capital. Um, we already had the metrics. Um, we worked really hard. We we're always in Nigeria building business. Um, so, so, you know, we weren't unfocused in that respect. Um, we had a product that was scaling very fast. But what, it, what YC did for us that nobody else was able to do was basically aggregate those investors into one place and make it so much easier for us to right. reach out to them. Like Which is where we met. Exactly, exactly. If you can, can you share some stats about where the business is today? So Flutterwave has really scaled since we started in May of 2016. So just to give you a sense, um, we've gone from zero when we started to $2 billion in payments processed um, across over 39 million transactions today. We, we've, we've scaled even uh, across multiple countries. So today we have presence across 33 countries. We're very active in five. So Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, um, South Africa, and the US. And now we're now even more active in some East, Eastern African countries as well as in Cote d'Ivoire. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what the business has evolved into. You mentioned that you know, in the US, for example, if somebody wants to accept payments, you cut a deal with Stripe, you're done, you're ready to roll, Yeah. right? But um, that currently didn't, or that previously did not exist no. in Nigeria or Sub-Saharan Africa. No. So you had to build a Stripe-like effort. Yeah, but yeah. there's so much more that's required to build a modern infrastructure yeah. to yeah. accept payments. So Absolutely. talk about all the different aspects that you bring to the table now. I think really, at the heart of it is, if, if you come to Africa with just a pure cards-based model, your growth um, typically will take quite a while, <laughs> right? And, and the reason why is because when you look at the structure of um, payments in the African economy today, um, less than 1% of payments are made by a card, by a MasterCard or Visa, and less than 5% of merchants accept any kind of electronic payment. What people typically just do is use the payment instrument to grab cash from the ATM, period, right? So most transactions are still conducted in cash. Mm. Um, but what we quickly figured out was if we stayed just focused on the card business, because um, we do that as well, 
um, we would be serving a very small term. And, and, you know, at some point, we actually got really far ahead. Um, and we still are, I would argue, probably one of the largest acquirers, card acquirers uh, in Nigeria specifically. Um, pretty soon, I'm sure, across Africa. Because there's just not a lot of activity there. Mm-hmm. We were seeing the need for payment processing with other payment instruments that were scaling faster. So a practical example is USSD, which is kind of one of our fastest growing payment instruments through channels today. And what is USSD payment? Basically, it's a missed call. So imagine if you just call the phone number and then that, by calling that phone number, you signal the intent to pay. Um, it debited your bank account after you put in, uh, prompted a PIN. Um, in response, kind of like entering the pin to a conference call line. We started working on that, um, you know, about two years ago when it started, but really kind of launched, put out a product in September, and it's just been ridiculous how fast it's scaled um, from from literally zero to like almost 20% of our revenue in, in like a few months. And, and those are examples of the other things that we do. So the way you have to think about the business that Flutterwave does is basically we are at our core, a payment processor. We're really like Vantive, yeah. right? We're really um, focused on how do you plug into bank accounts? How do you plug into mobile money wallets? How do you plug into even new types of payment yeah. instruments we haven't even invented? You're like the Rosetta Stone for payments in Africa. You plug into every network, every exactly, system. Exactly, exactly. Whether at the work. bank, whether at the merchant, yeah. whether, whether at the, the consumer. Exactly. At the consumer. We, we conduct the traffic. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if I could say it even more crudely, you're kind of like Stripe plus Square plus yeah. FIS. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you if you look at... And Braintree. Yeah. For good measure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at like the way the biggest players are, are structured, like a first data in the U.S. or Vantiv in the U.S., I mean, that really does describe... You know, because we've got we've got a point of sale business that we run. We've got um, a card acquiring business that we run. We've got um, USSD, which is kind of a special flavor of payment business that we run. We've got a vast business that we run. We've got a direct bank account payments business that we run. So we've kind of covered the entire gamut of payments. And the way we basically sell ourselves is basically saying, look, if you're an enterprise, we can work with you to basically increase your GDP and give you more visibility into how payments are coming in and out of your network. Right. If you're a small business, we can do the same with you. Right. If you're a retail individual, we can do the same with you. So why not bank with us? Why not work with us? And, and tell us about how much of your business is within Africa uh, and how much of the business is, you know, shuttling money in and out of Africa. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Um, so, we, you know, within Africa, we, we've got most of our business within Africa. So probably I would argue like probably like 70%, 75% is, re- is just local transactions, local people. But we've really built a reputation around supporting large global players in line with our mission to enter the continent. So a big example is TransferWise. So with TransferWise, we actively support our TransferWise to get into the market from a licensing point of view, from a you know, regulatory point of view, from a technology point of view, from a cost point of view. Um, and so that's a partnership that has worked fantastic. Well, we're currently doing the same with Flywire, which handles international payments for schools and hospitals around the world. Um, we, we've also done the same with them. Um, we're, we're working with a few others, um, which, which will be announced in time. It's something we've built excellent reputation around, and it's actually how we started our business with that international ride-sharing business I talked about earlier, which is if you're a global business in the Valley trying to figure out how do I do Africa, in a way that doesn't lose me money, you should really be talking to Flutterwave. So who do you view as your primary competitors? 
it's a mix. I, and, you know, I don't even think about the world in that way, you know, like in terms of competitors and not competitors. Because the market in Africa is so big. That and like, fragmented, right? And, and fragmented that, look, you need we need all the help we can get. So the whole competition thing is just, it's just not how we think about the world. But what I would say is, what are the alternatives to using us? <laughs> That's That might be a better way to put it. And I think, um, I mean, cash is an obvious alternative. We actively militate against the use of cash, even though we do embrace it in our ecosystem to make certain things more transparent to business owners. But we're not big fans of cash. But but I think the other the other really kind of big big players um, um, that that we you know people people use it rather than us, which is funny because we end up collaborating anyways. Are all the big you know, payment, global payment players. So what do I mean by, you know, like when you talk to uh, like your RDN and, and you talk to like your PayU and so on and so forth, these are fantastic companies. They've done a great job in Europe and in uh, North America. Africa is a completely different kettle of fish, right? Like just, just you got to be on the ground to make it work. So that's one thing that I wish more people understood about the way the payment, you can't just like get a global payment processor and they know everywhere in the world, especially in Africa where it, it gets a little testy sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and, but the beautiful thing is we work with everybody. So, you know, every now and then we support some of these players in Africa. Um, how, how do you work with the card issuers? Those are typically in Africa, the banks, right? Um, and, and we work with the banks, not just in Africa, but you work with the, the world. You prefer to work with the card issuer banks, not with the networks themselves? It's not a choice that we have, you know, right now, I'll be honest. Uh, it's something we're working through with the networks, um, trying to get them to more actively engage. Uh, engage. Yeah. Um, uh, and they're working, I mean, they're, they're definitely doing their best to see how they can kind of work with their rules, um, given where they are right now, to make it happen. Right now, we just work through the banks. We have very good and close relationships with multiple regional banks um, who we share revenue with. So, you know, there's always that relationship. Before we leave um, the startup scene, we got to talk a little bit about what's happening on the ground in the tech ecosystem and the startup ecosystem in Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, since you've become, you know, a bit like the Pied Piper of the region, you know. So, what's going on on the ground there? It's an interesting, interesting space. Um, I'll say, you know, for every ecosystem, the first question is, do you have the talent to build anything? And I think that what has happened with Andela over the last three years has really just changed the game. You know, I remember um, doing Andela interviews for the first class and you know, being a software developer was not cool. Working in tech was not cool. It was maybe the MBA boys who came with all the Stanford dollars, but like, you know, um, just for most of us, if you, if you didn't have an MBA or a master's degree or you didn't you know, work abroad or all that kind of stuff, like it was just hard for you to be a tech guy and and just build product and so people people didn't like it and I think Andela came and changed the scene quite a bit by showing people look you know technology skills are very valuable you should, you should get some yeah not only and, cool but you can get paid yeah yeah like so, today yeah so yeah. you know um, so so people people that changed the paradigm I think and that was the beginning of something special I'm obviously a little bit older than you and when my family emigrated from Korea um, in the late 1960s to the United States, you know, Korea was a very poor country. Mm-hmm. And you know, the dream of most people from that part of the world was, look, let's get our kids educated in the United States or in North America. Yeah. Um, and the best talent went overseas, yeah. right? But now you're starting to see over the last 20 years, not only are the best studying overseas, but they're coming back home to start yeah. businesses, yeah. start their careers there. Yeah. 
Is that happening now today in Nigeria? You know, it's happening, but I think it actually takes away from from a bigger story. You know that about when you were growing up and and what it is now. Yeah. Because unlike unlike when you were growing up, you know, if if you weren't connected enough to get that that those school fees or you know to to move overseas. You were pretty much doomed, right? Well, but, listen, I come from a long and uninterrupted line of peasants. Oh, so you I, know, exactly. my parents, my so parents they, had to scrape by to get scrape by to get. Yeah, you know what I mean. So those sacrifices were necessary, and not yeah. everyone could make them. Yeah. But today, um, in in Africa, the best talent never left. You know, they just tapped into the. the they, didn't even have, they didn't even have enough. <laughs> they didn't yeah. have enough resources to get overseas. Yeah, yeah and they didn't have to. That's yeah. the beautiful thing. They could just sit in their house. And, and watch Udacity, and they became world-class engineers traveling over, all over the world. So that's a, a complete transformation because, you know, now we kind of went two steps, like like we always you do leave from. Africa. We, we just leave from. Yeah. So, so, yeah, you know, there's some folks here who are going back, and that's cool, but I think the biggest story is that there's some folks back home who are doing really, really well without having actually left, and who probably never have to leave because so of it, remote work. So it sounds like the... The underpinnings of a of a booming tech scene are there. They're already there. They're already there. And I think what's going to happen is it's just right now um, they haven't been trained on the biggest problems. That's the problem. That's that's the only problem. I mean, starting a company like Flutter Wave requires serious balls and a great team. You're going to see um, technical talent is there. You're going to see a wave of vested professionals as yes. I like to call them. So yes. people who actually understand the gods yes. of businesses have the network partner up with these technology talent yeah. to build fantastic things. And I think that's when, you know, Green Visor can go crazy. Let's talk about the other conditions precedent necessary to to enable a tech ecosystem or a startup ecosystem to flourish. One, you gotta have the talent. Two, yeah. you gotta have a good set of experienced founders yeah. and mentorship of that talent. Yeah. But what about the capital? You know, is there yeah. a burgeoning angel community? Is there a burgeoning local venture community? Yeah. You mentioned earlier how you dismissed the idea of becoming a venture capitalist focused in Africa, but you know, I'd love to learn more about that. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I mean, it's happening. Um, they, they still have, we still have a lot of lessons to learn. Like, um, I think there's, there's quite a bit happening already. So every day, you know, I have a friend who's, who started a fund and wants some advice, and, and, and that's great. Um, I just think that you know, we're still far away from like a, a groundbreaking exit that completely changes yeah. the market and gives empowers founders with the capital to be able to invest in yeah. startups. Yeah, but know, give so. it you know, give it a decade. Give yeah, it, give maybe it less. Years. You yeah. know, that's funny thing in Africa. Like when we started Andela, we thought it was going to take us a decade to get where we got in three years. So I'm always and and when we started Flutterwave, we thought it was going to take five years or eight years to get to where we got to in two years. Africa is a weird place like that, right? It's just like a time warp. So. I'd say give it three years, maybe three years. I might be wrong, it might be one year. What do you think people get wrong about Africa? So I think the first thing really is one, one of the things we touched on, which is people don't want to pay. Or the people don't have money to pay. Yeah. Like, people want to pay. People primarily, um, the biggest thing people don't understand in the Valley about Africa is just that what you consider a vitamin here is a painkiller. So I'll use a random example, Uber. Uber here is a luxury, right? You can get a taxi, you can get... I mean, yeah, if you've built it into habit, it's there, but you have public transit, you have all that. Look, the middle-class people who would normally here take a transit, you know, just take a bus to work, there is no transit system that works for them. 
So the only way to get to work is Uber. Uh, if you think about Facebook ads, for example, like here, you know, there are many ways to advertise. You can put your stuff in classifieds. You know, there's so many other ways. But like Facebook is dollar for dollar the cheapest way to get the word out about your business. It's just kind of funny how people just imagine, you know, oh, you know, Africa is not worth the investment because, you know, people can't pay. Meanwhile, you actually stand to make quite a bit of money. I mean, one yeah. stat, I remember someone was telling me that Uber did its millionth ride in Lagos before it did its millionth ride in London, as, as in, in terms of number of days. And why is that? Because, you know, what's, what's a painkiller in Africa is a vitamin here because there's right. so many it's wonderful actually, public alternatives. Yeah. But there is... It's critical know, infrastructure. Yeah, it's critical infrastructure. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing people get wrong. And I think the other thing is, you know, and, and something people will say all the time, it's just like, you know, Africa is not the same, you know, as the, the different parts of Africa. Yes, yes. But it's a more complex thing, right? Where it's like, yeah, there are different parts of Africa, but at the same time, there are huge commonalities about how everything works. So practical example, banking relationships. Across Africa, give or take, there are probably about 500 million banks with like more than $10 million in AUM, right? 500 banks, right? Everything else is kind of a joke, right? Out of those 500 banks, right, 350 of them are owned by banking groups. And if you pick out those banking groups, right, probably 15. <laughs> if you wanted to sell into all of Africa, you needed to talk to 15 decision makers. Yeah, yeah. That's it. You raise a great point there. And if I had to summarize it, I would say that while it's a large opportunity and it may seem fragmented the reality is by knowing a handful of the right people, institutions yeah. people you can you can leverage that very quickly just leveraging the data helps yeah. you right what's the biggest consumer platform in Africa Facebook Facebook has 18 million users in Nigeria there's no consumer app with that many people so it's not that different a market um, the way people mm. kind of paint it it's just like if you're willing to invest in the right in the right you can just be data driven about how you push, you know, you could make an outsized impact with quite a little bit of capital. It's very interesting because, uh, you know, um, one of the things that uh, we talk about internally is just how hard it is to crack the code in like emerging markets in Asia because there aren't those same commonalities across markets That's the thing. in Asia. But in Africa, those commonalities, Echo Bank alone is in 33 African yeah. countries. Yeah. If you bought Echo Bank today, you literally own, you're, you're literally the city bank of Africa. He, uh, before we close, I think, um, um, you know, we should talk a little about, a little more of your personal background. You and I actually have something in common yeah. that not many yeah. people realize. We're both, <laughs> we're both PKs, yes. you know, yes. so pastor's kids. Now, yes. um, now, my dad's a pastor, your dad's a pastor, but uh -huh. for added benefit, if I'm not mistaken, your mom is also a pastor. My mom's a pastor too. Wow, yeah. so you clearly got into a lot of trouble when you were a kid. I did. I did. <laughs> and I got born again. And then, so. <laughs> How do you think that's influenced you uh, in your decision-making as a founder? I think, I think for me, the biggest influence for me has been just um, this whole idea of acting with integrity. Yeah. Like, Which I don't know how to be fake. We, we wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with, by yeah. the way. I don't know how to be fake. Like, it's something I have trouble with. You know, it's like, you know, there's a lot of leadership advice. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put put forward this face for everybody. And it's just like fake it till you make it. Yeah, I'm just like I don't know how to do that. I just like you know, I tell my team how it is. You know, I tell my investors how it is, and you know, I, I do my best. You know, um, I also think you also learn how to be independent because um, your parents. You know, I mean, my parents just never had my time. 
<laughs> so you just learn how to just think independently and not be a, a crutch on other people. And and I think you also learn a lot of work ethic because, you know, yeah. um, Sundays you were packing chairs and, you know, Mondays, you, you know, you had to go to church every single day. And you lead by and example. It, yeah, yeah. And, you know, going to church every single day builds a different kind of character in you. No doubt. <laughs> I agree, by the way, I agree with all those things. Uh, I would add one other thing, which is that, um, and I think you would agree with this, that if you're a pastor's kid, you learn how to tell a good story. Oh, you do. Because you, your parents teach sitting, you every day. If you're <laughs> sitting you in the first pew, yeah, listening yeah. to those sermons, yeah, yeah. you know how to communicate. Yo, trust me, my, my dad tells fantastic stories about me, so I have to stay up <laughs> to know what the next joke about me is. Um, yeah, but it's a lot of pressure, though, right? It is, it is. You, know, you know, it is. And, and I would say even one thing about that is also you also become more sensitive to the stories people tell about you. Yeah. Right? Because um, your name becomes very important, right? Because it's like, you know, when you're a PK, everyone's watching out for your, for, everyone's watching you for your parents. Your name gets in the wrong spot, your dad's going to know before you even know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know where to hide. Yeah. Well, you know where to hide. Yeah, that is absolutely true. Thanks for being on our show. It's been delightful having you as our guest. My pleasure. And I look forward, as I think many of our listeners do, to seeing what you and your colleagues can accomplish in the next 24 months and beyond. Super excited about doing that. All right. Thank you, my man. Thank you.